this sermon series called Pressing On, recognizing that in life, it's not all lollipops, recognizing that even as followers of Jesus, that it takes, takes stamina, it takes, it takes purpose, it takes intention to, to stay in the fight. It takes a will and a faith that says no matter what I feel and my emotions and my soul are battling with, no matter what is going on outside, that I know that my faith transcends all of those things and I know because God is good and he is real that I'm going to press on towards the goal. It's first spoken from the Apostle Paul, of course, when he was in, when he was in jail. You'd find the scripture in the book, uh, the letter to the church of Philippi, where he says, I'm going to press on towards the goal for the upward call for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. But said, I want to open uh, simply with a, a, a very simple verse in John chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. Um, I typically like to preach maybe mainly just one passage. We're going to jump around a little bit tonight. Uh, I think that, that there's a number of things that we need to look at together for the Lord to really share what he wants to share with us. But we're going to Start uh, tonight in John 10.10. If you're taking notes, you can write this title down. Do you have what it takes? Go ahead and punch your neighbor and just ask him, do you have what it takes? You always see what type of people you have in church. The, the soft little poke or like the real punch, you know. <laughs> do you have what it takes? John 10.10, one of the most famous verses that comes out of the mouth of Jesus. He says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The thief has come only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that y'all might have life and have it abundantly. The devil comes into this world. The devil comes into your life. The devil comes into your mind only to steal from you, only to kill you, and only to destroy you. And he's going to do that with some very keen tactics. He's going to make something look like it's very enticing to your flesh, but in the end, it's going to be for your destruction. The devil is coming after us to take us down. But Jesus said, I came to bring life and life abundant to all those that would choose me through faith. And it starts with the salvation that I'm going to offer. For all those that would put their faith in me, I will give salvation. And that's just the beginning. That's not the end. That's just the beginning of the abundant life that God has for us. Here is the gospel, the good news of God. It's not 21 steps to a better life. It's not get all this religion in you. It's not learn all these commandments and do all these legalistic laws. The, the good news of God is the person of Jesus that God stepped out of heaven. He put skin on. He moved into the neighborhood. He made his life amongst us so that he would live and walk with us, feel every temptation that we felt, live through the life that we live. He would live a sinless life and he would take on my sin and your sin and he'd go to that cross and he'd receive the fullness of the wrath of God being poured out upon him so that he would wipe away every sin from every human that would ever live. And all we have to do to receive that is to receive it in faith. 
This is what the gospel is. It's a God that would say, you don't need to work your way to me. You don't need to work your way to heaven by being good enough and doing all these laws and practicing all this religion, even though we should be obedient and we should, because God is so good, we should obey him and we should desire to follow his commandments. The good news of God is that no matter what we do and what we've ever done, no matter how much sin we have or sin we don't have, God says, you are my child. You are my son. You are my you are my daughter and I want you and I love you and would you just choose me in faith and if you would choose me in faith and surrender yourself and sitting on the throne of your own life I will give you a better life than you could ever imagine I will give you a better life than any money can buy you I will give you a better life than you could ever build for yourself if only you would let me rule your life and no matter what you try and build for yourself or you allow anybody to persuade you, it's only going to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you unless God is leading your life. And Jesus came to bring us not a dreary religious existence, but an abundant life. Do you have it? I mean, let's just think about this for a second. The, the promise is this, that the spirit of the living God will come and fill your soul. He will make his home not in a temple, but inside of your heart. The same spirit that rose Jesus out of the grave is to live in those who have faith. That should produce in us the abundant life. It's not a life that means that we're always going to be happy per se, but it's a life that means we have a joy that transcends even the darkest of times. It's a peace like we were singing about that transcends our understanding. Even when we're going through it, we know that God is for us. We know that he's with us. We know that his peace is a promise. It's an abundant life if we fully surrender to him. I just want to invite you to bow your head right now. I just felt impressed by the Lord to do this. I, I feel like if you're in this room tonight and you know right now in this moment that you're not walking with Jesus, you've not surrounded your life to him, you don't need to hear me preach for 30 more minutes to make that decision. God is already speaking to you. If you're here tonight, and you've tried everything in the book. You've tried everything that the world has to offer you. And I'm telling you right now that there is a God that is alive and well. And he's in love with you. And he wants to forgive you for everything that you've ever done. He wants to welcome you into his kingdom right here. Not just a place you're going to go after you die. But a life for right now. For the rest of the days that you're breathing oxygen on this earth. And for all of eternity to live with him. You can have that abundant life. Right now, if you would just put your faith in him. I just want to ask you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're here tonight and you know that God is speaking to you right now in this moment and you would know God is drawing you, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? I see those hands on my right side. I'm looking on my right side right now. My right side, your left. Just raise your hand. I see your hand in the back, ma'am. I'm looking in the middle section here. I see your hand right here. Young lady, I see your hand right here. Ma'am, in the middle, I see your hand. I see your hand over here on the left. Thank you so much, church. Will you clap your hands for these? Uh, giving their life to Jesus right now.
We could, we, could, we could finish this service right now. This is what it's all about. What a beautiful thing. I just want to say a prayer. If you, if you raise your hand, would you just pray this? In fact, I'm going to have everybody pray this in this whole church so you know that you're not alone. Nobody's even going to know it's you unless you want to tell them because everybody's going to be praying this together. But it's really, really cool that when we say something out of our mouth, it solidifies it in our heart. And the Bible actually talks about us confessing with our mouth our faith in Jesus. And so we are so celebrating with you that just raise your hand. If you would just pray this with me, church, will you pray this with me? Jesus, tonight I surrender my life to you. I thank you for dying on the cross and forgiving me and offering me abundant life. I receive your life, and I receive your spirit, and I commit myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, will you clap your hands for those that made that commitment to him one more time? It's beautiful. Lord, I thank you that, that you don't need a sermon to draw people, that your, your spirit is doing the drawing. I thank you, God, for those that have the boldness to raise their hand right here. And we pray, God, that you would fill them with your presence so you begin to, to guide and direct our life like they've never experienced before, that they would know your peace and your joy and your love, that they would know above all your presence inside of them. Lord, for all of us, we commit ourselves to you that your word would come alive in our hearts, that we'd have ears to hear what you're saying straight from your throne in heaven tonight. We ask that you would anoint my lips for your words, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever, uh, somebody ever asked you that question, do you have what it takes? Yes. You ever asked yourself that question? Do I have what it takes? You know, maybe it's on that sports team and you're, you're, you're going out, tryouts, and you're just wondering, well, everybody else is so good. I wonder if I have what it takes to make the squad. I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I have the skills. Or I wonder how I match up against other people. I wonder, do I really have what it takes? Or maybe it's an academics for you and Maybe, you know, some of you are just straight A and just you're, you're the annoying ones that the rest of us hate. And, you know, it's just like you don't study at all and you're always, you always know all the answers and, you know, good for you. No, but some of us, it's difficult sometimes. And so we're going through the tests and the SAT or college entrance exams or whatever it is. I took a test recently and I was super nervous and I passed it and I was like, yeah, because I, you know, a lot of people failed it and. And I was pumped because I didn't think, I honestly went and got prayers and said, hey, dudes, pray for me because I am not feeling good about this test. I didn't know if I had what it took. Maybe it's in your career and, and you, just, you just feel like, you know, I don't have the gifting, I don't have the charisma, I don't have the ability to, to have that position that I've been dreaming about since I was a kid, but maybe I should just settle for this because I don't know if I have what it takes. Or how many parents out there, you, you get pregnant and it's like, oh my goodness, we're going to be responsible for another human life. I don't know if I have what it takes to be solely responsible for this human being to not die because I don't know how to cook for them. And then you don't sleep. And then, like, you don't sleep so much that you are freaking out. And have you ever done that thing where like in the middle of the night, uh, you put them in the car seat or something and you're like, you almost fall asleep just rocking them to sleep and, and, they're, and, then, and then they finally, and then you set them down and right as soon as your head hits the pillow, 
They cry again and you wake up and you freak. And you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, you do. I know you do. <laughs> there are so many things in our life that we struggle with knowing. Do I have all the components, all of the tools, all of the things that I would need to accomplish this thing? Do I have what it takes? Am I good enough? Am I skilled enough? Am I equipped enough? Am I old enough? Am I young enough? Do I have enough money? And I think that many of us, if not all of us, we ask those same questions when it comes to the faith. We hear verses like this, and Jesus says, I came to bring life and life abundant, and we either consciously or subconsciously ask ourselves, do I have what it takes to have that life? Do I have enough faith? Is there enough faith in me? Because when I look at the pastors or the preachers or I look at people around me or, or those people that are sitting around me in church, I, I feel like maybe they have more faith than me because it, it feels like it. Maybe I don't know. Do I have it? Do I have enough? Do I have enough faith to have the abundant life that he's preaching about? Have I gone to church enough? I really skipped a few times this summer. We really like camping, but I really want to you know, have the abundant life. And so did I make it to church enough times? Am I doing enough ministries? Am I serving enough things? Am I, am I reading my Bible enough minutes a day? And we ask ourselves, like, do I really have what it takes to have this abundant life? Do I have what it takes to really please God? And we think about him and we think, is he happy with me? Is he, is he sitting up in heaven and just, like, looking down on me and thinking, man, why did you do that again? <laughs> do you ever imagine God's face, you know, and sometimes you just think he's probably just like, I don't think that's how God is. God doesn't do what we do to our kids. Like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, come on, son, I know you could do it. Daughter, I know you could do it. But we wonder, do we have what it takes to please God, to live this life that he has for us? And I think sometimes we miss a few things about what it actually takes. I want to read a passage in John chapter 13. Jesus has gone to the upper room with his disciples. He's made his way to Jerusalem. He knows that his day of death is upon him. And he sits down for one final supper with them. He breaks the bread and said, this is my body. It represents my body. It's broken for you. He passes around the wine and he says, this is my blood. And when you drink of it and remember me and remember that I've made a new covenant with you. And he shares this intimate moment with his friends. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas runs out of the room. And then in John 13, starting in verse 34, Jesus says this. Just before he leaves the upper room to go unto his captivity and to his death, he says this. A new commandment I give you, that you are to love 
one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Apple just came out with this new phone. It's a pretty amazing device. It like literally reads your face to unlock. Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> like you, it will unlock if you show it your face and it like, it, it memorizes your face, that's how it unlocks. And, and it's like the most advanced phone ever. And they say that every year. And so like, you know, next year this will be dumb. So, you know. That's fine. It's actually a really, this is off topic, but isn't it interesting that like the iPhone 5 was the coolest thing ever like three years ago? And now if you see your friend have an iPhone 5, which I had one for about a month because mine fell in the lake, which is now why I have a new phone, but I had an iPhone 5 and people literally were like, oh man, what is that dumb thing? <laughs> no, seriously. And like, I get it, like it was super dumb and so, so I had to get a new one, but like we need to remember that what our culture is training us to do is think that things that are, that are like not really old are really dumb now. And so this gets into our spirit and we think that we always need something new to be entertained. And you know what? What is really old is the only thing that matters and that's Jesus and what he did on the cross and it's not old. It's the reason why I can invite you to give your life to Jesus at the beginning of a sermon and it's still worth it and it's still good because the message never gets old. But anyway, this phone is really new and it's awesome. And you know, like the pictures, like you look like a professional and, and all those things. And my point, my point is not to brag about the phone. My point is this, no matter how good this phone is, no matter how amazing it is, it, it can't live up to its full potential without something else. Salvation for us is like the greatest supernatural device that God could give us. It's the iPhone that never gets old. It's the, it's the thing. It's the number one thing that we need. The relationship between us and God is the most important thing that we can have in our possession. It's the greatest phone, if it, as it were, ever. But there's something else that is secondarily as important, but it makes what's important actually work. So if I have this great phone or any great phone or you, you have whatever, if you don't have any service, what good is it? It doesn't matter. Like If there's nothing to connect it to anybody else, then yippee, I could take a million selfies and keep them for myself. Which we should all probably keep our selfies to ourselves a little bit more. Amen. <laughs> But I have right now the greatest new thing on the market. But if I didn't have any service, which is of secondary importance, then this primarily important thing would not work to its potential at all. And what I'm trying to say to you tonight is that our individual personal relationship with Jesus is the primary and most important thing that you could ever have. Bar none, it is, it is the 
thing that God has given us, the divide, the, do you understand? Are you following with the analogy? It's the thing that we need above all else. But there is something else of secondary importance that we actually require to make the thing of primary importance work to its fullest. And I think that what we've done in the American church or the, the church of our generation is we've maybe, to a little degree, made, uh, maybe described what's of primary importance in a way that's a little bit out of context to what God actually designed for us. Because we've preached a message that you can't get to heaven riding on the coattails of somebody else's faith, and that's true. But if we're not careful, we're going to, like Americans do, live in this life that is solely individualistic. And I'm here tonight to tell you that your personal, individual relationship with God requires other people. Our faith is a one another faith. Did you catch what Jesus said? I'm giving a new commandment. This isn't a new commandment to love. It's an old commandment. Love God is the most important thing that you should do. Love one another. Love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself is what it said. But he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you by this all people will know that you're my disciples. This word that is found here in John 13 is a Greek word that is used 94 times in the New Testament. Exactly half of those times, 47 times in the New Testament, there's a commandment written and given to us to do something to or for one another. This is unique to our faith. This is extremely unique to our faith. If you study the, the five pillars of Islam or the eightfold path of Buddhism or any other religion out there, of course they have to do with caring for your neighbor, but, but we have a uniquely community-based faith with the one God. We need to recognize that we have a one another faith. Countless times it's talking about us loving one another, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, confessing sins to one another. It even says four times to greet one another with a holy kiss. Six times, no, it's four times. <laughs> Stephen likes to greet with a holy kiss. And Seth, it's not a sloppy, wet, or unforeseen kiss in any of them. Just saying. Time and time again, the scripture is teaching us that how we love God is by loving one another. How we serve God is by serving one another. How we pursue our relationship with God is by pursuing one another. 
This is not a DIY religion. This is a community religion. Jesus commands us that if we're going to follow the one God, we cannot do it by ourselves. We need other people. I wonder, do you want another? Do you? I was thinking about this message in my own life. And the times that I've avoided sin by God's grace, many of those times was not because my devotions were so good, not because in and of my own motivation and my own self, I, I spurred myself on towards correction. It's because I've put myself in a position where the people around me called me to a higher level. I remember I was serving in a ministry in college called Young Life, and I had made a commitment through the end of my senior year to be a Young Life leader. I made a commitment. And it was the middle of my senior year, and I got senioritis. And I just didn't think I should follow through on that commitment because I had been serving for three years. And so I told my leader, I said, hey, I think I'm done with this thing. I, it's only a few months early. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just step back. And he said, no, you're not. He said, son, you made a commitment. And we live in a generation where people are learning to break their commitments left and right. And I'm going to stand next to you even though, and we started screaming at each other. We were yelling at each other. I, I kid you not, this is one of my mentors. We were, we were yelling at each other. And he said, you're going to fulfill your commitment. And I could tell you that that person in my life and that one particular moment did way more than just keeping me in that ministry for those few months. It set up in my heart this, this desire to fulfill the commitment I made in my marriage, fulfill the commitments that I make to my friends, to be a person that when I say I'm going to do something with my word, I'm going to do it. Because it wasn't because I was so holy and I did a really great devotional. And I, no, it was because somebody else won another. Somebody else said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to talk you, you know, whip you into shape when you're not willing to do it for yourself. Shortly after I got graduated from college, I moved to Coeur d'Alene, and I went through the darkest time of my life, and I was, I was feeling very depressed, and I just felt like I had lost my whole world, and I had made a commitment to another person to, to be in Coeur d'Alene and to help this person launch a ministry and it was in that season where everything in my life and everything in my emotions said, just move back to your parents' house, live in their basement. <laughs> just quit. But it was the other people that I had made a commitment to that kept me going. It was the week after week knowing that people were going to show up in my house for, for Bible study on a Wednesday night that when I was maybe consider doing something on the internet that I shouldn't do or consider letting my mind wander somewhere that it shouldn't go or consider going to that place that I knew I shouldn't be, I knew that I had people that I was responsible for on Wednesday night and those people kept me from sin, not my own holiness. Yeah. 
Those people spurred me on towards the life that God had for me because left to myself, I'm going to run the other direction. We need people in our life. Do you want another? Do you have people that you do life with? Do you have people that know you? 47 times in the New Testament, the Bible commands us to one another. Andy Stanley says, you can't one another sitting in a pew. Oh, so should we just quit coming to church on the weekend? No. There's something that's very important about what we do in this time in this space. But this isn't the only thing that our faith is made up of. There's something very special that takes place when we gather together and we worship in unison. There's something very, very special that happens when we come together in unity for things like saturate and we come together and we canvas our city. And it, it, it says something to the city when we're in unity. It says something to our community when, when droves of people are doing something together. It's important that we stick together. It's important that we come together and worship. It's important sometimes that somebody on a microphone says something that our own mind has been saying to ourselves. But it's something happens when somebody preaches God's word to us and we hear it because faith comes by hearing. It's the way God designed it. And so what we're doing right now is very, very important. But it's not the only thing. I wonder if sometimes half the church is missing half of the life abundant that God has offered us. Because we show up on the weekend and then we wonder why, why, we're, not, why we're not really living this thing the way that we're supposed to be living it. Maybe it's because our religion is a one another religion. It's not just about our individual relationship with God. It's about everybody else too. Do you one another? I got a few that I just want to uh, focus on tonight. I'm going to give you four points and then we're going to call it a day. Four scriptures that I hope will challenge you, encourage you. Number one is this, serve one another. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as the one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves with the strength that God supplies, in order that everything, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, there's service that takes place in this church on the weekend, but we don't always have the opportunity to serve one another necessarily. You might be served. You might serve. But sometimes we have to get out of this room to serve one another. Sometimes it's, it's not just about showing up to church and listening to other people speak about God and having other people open the door for us and having other people make the coffee for us. There are 175 hours of your life every week that happen outside of this room. 
And do you want another in those hours? Dwayne and Misty serve people all the time. But I wonder if they feel like they're serving one another. It takes relationship with other people, not just listening to a preacher preach, getting to know people and saying, hey, thank you so much for helping me put my garage door on the other day. Is there anything that you need help with at your house? How can we serve one another? I bet you have piles of things to rake up at your property. <laughs> I'm going to send my five-year-old. He's going to help you. <laughs> he does help. Who do you want another with? What's up, my man? What's your name? Wait, what? Your name's Craig? That's awesome. There's only, there's only three of us in church. Three with you. Two other ones in you now. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a great name. I would never know Craig's name if I didn't go out of my way to meet him. Now, I'm not going to grill you and ask you about your life right here, right now, because that's a little embarrassing, but I wonder if this brother right here has some one another's. I bet one of you guys over there is his one another. Yeah, you. Yeah, you too. I wonder if this brother needs somebody to serve him a little bit. I wonder if this brother right here might be super interested in serving. He just doesn't have any connections yet. Somebody emails into the church, oh, nobody ever wants to help out. I believe that there's a lot of you that want to help out. You just don't know how to help out. Well, what happens when we get together in relationship is we know what people need. There was a small group where a mom came, and she had no money, a single mom, and she had no money to buy a, a, a washer and dryer, and she was in a small group. And the group said, hey, we don't need to take this to the church. Let's just all, let's just all pool our money together and let's, let's just serve one another. Let's take care of you. Yeah. Listen, it's not about the small group. It's about people doing life together. And they, they were serving one another. Do you have people in your world that you serve outside of the walls of this church? How about this one? Carry one another. Galatians 2, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. That's good. You see sin in your, your friend? You see sin in other people? Our call is not to, to whip them over the head with it and beat them down. Our call is to restore them. In the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest that you too would be tempted, but bear one another's burdens. I wonder if this brother has some stuff going on in his life that maybe he needs help with. We go through it. And it's not just about our devotional time that's going to get us through. It's not just about our individual relationship with God. It's about we need people around us that can carry us when we're feeling weak. That can lift us up and say, you have this. I know you. Let me carry some of this weight for you. Let me, let me take you into the side and pray for you because I know you're feeling it. 
We need to stop looking at just a few people that are paid to work on the church staff to, to do all the ministry. That's unbiblical. It's, it's unbiblical. And my job as a pastor is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's all of you. Whose burdens are you bearing right now? Somebody should be bearing yours and you should be bearing somebody else's. Do you want another? How about this one? Confess your sins to and pray for one another. James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you will be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Who's he going to sit next to and make him confess their sins? <laughs> Everybody's keeping their eyes down. Now, I know us Protestants don't really like the whole confession booth thing. But come on. The point is not religious confession just for confession's sake. The point is that when you confess to one another and you bring these hidden things into the light, there's a freedom unlike anything that you can ever accomplish through a thousand hours of Bible study, through watching a thousand YouTube sermons online, something happens when you confess to one another what is going on in your soul. When Jesus said, I came to bring life and life abundant, it's not just about what you confess to him in the privacy of your own room. Something happens when you confess to one another. Do you want another? Do you have people that you want another with? Meet with and encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how we may stir one another up towards love and good deeds. One version says spur one another on. You know, like spurs or like pokey shoes. Who's a cowboy in here? Steve. Do you have a pair of spurs? I bet he does. <laughs> you ever thought about what it means to spur somebody on? No, you are going to stick in this ministry for three more months because you said you would. Come on, man. No, you could do it. No, I know you could do it. You got it in you. I'm with you. Hey, anything you need. If you're struggling at three in the morning, call me up. I'm here for you. We're going to do this with each other, one another. Come on, man. Whatever it is that's going on, come on, let's meet together. Come to my house. We're starting a small group on Thursday nights starting October 11th, 630. These guys are coming. You could come too. If you need somebody to meet with, you know, it's not about my small group. Get anybody. But we need people, and I believe in you. We need to meet with one another and spur one another on through encouragement, to encourage one another, to be there for one another, to, to receive somebody's confession when, they're, when they've given themselves over to something that they know they shouldn't have done. That's called sin. To receive their confession just like God was receiving it. To encourage them, to build them back up, to pour life into them, to lay our hands on them and pray for them. 
All of these things can't always happen in this setting. Sometimes they have to happen with one another. When I ask the question, do you have what it takes? My guess is that most people will feel inside the way that I feel when somebody asks that question. Do I have what it takes? Do I have the strength? Do I have the faith? Am I strong enough? Am I good enough? And I want you to know tonight that in order for you to have what it takes, it does not mean that you need to have what it takes every time. It just means that you need to have some people around you that can help you when you don't have what it takes. Jesus said, I came to bring life and life abundant. And then it goes on to say 47 times what it is that Jesus' followers are to do with one another. And I wonder if you're struggling to press on if you're struggling to find the life abundant, if you're struggling to overcome that sin that feels like it just keeps keeping its hold on you, or you're struggling to break through in that area, in that relationship, or financially, or whatever it is, I wonder, do you want another? You come to church week after week and you're trying, but do you want another? Having what it takes to live this life that God has called us to does not mean that you have all the strength in and of yourself. It just means that you invite some people along to your life that can help you do it. This is a community faith. 